sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on October 18, 2015, on the basis of 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 25. So let me ask you, by coming to church today, did you prove that you are smarter than all of those people who didn't? Or by not coming to church today, did they prove that they are smarter than you? You know, there's sort of this general perception in our world that the smarter you are, the less likely you are to be religious. That religion and reason are incompatible with one another. Would you agree with me that that's the perception in our world today? You know, there's a very simple reason for that. It's because there is this very vocal group of people who are very irreligious and who also, at least by some measurements, are very intelligent, and they are very fond of saying things like that. Like reason and religion are incompatible. That faith and intelligence are enemies. But believe it or not, this was not always the case. In fact, back in ancient Corinth, the exact opposite was true. Now, ancient Corinth was no backwoods town full of hillbillies and imbeciles, Just the opposite. It was a stomping ground for intellectuals. It was a place where people liked to just sit around and think about things and talk about the latest and greatest ideas in the world. The citizens of Corinth prided themselves on their intelligence. And in fact, that's what was causing a problem among the Christians in Corinth. There were divisions forming within the congregation and the cause of those Divisions was the simple fact that those people believed that their faith was evidence of their intelligence rather than evidence of the contrary. So which one do you think is true? Is faith evidence of intelligence or is it evidence of ignorance? That's the topic that the Apostle Paul takes up in these opening verses from his first letter to the Corinthians. And as Paul explores the relationship between reason and religion, between intellect and faith, he is going to answer this question for us, how far will wisdom go? Now, it shouldn't surprise us one bit, but it also is worth stating that the gray matter that exists in the space between your ears was put there by God. And as a result, it is a tremendous and indispensable blessing in our lives. Here's why. We live in a world where signs of God's existence are all around us. God's fingerprints are all over everything, and it is our human wisdom, our natural reason, that enables us to see that. Our human wisdom causes us to sense God's presence, to assume certain things about him. We assume that he's loving. We assume that he's powerful. We assume that he's wise and holy. And finally, it is our human wisdom that causes us to want to know God more fully. It's always a little bit interesting when people deny the existence of God and do so on the basis of the fact that God has failed to live up to certain expectations. When people say things like, well, if if God were really loving he wouldn't have done this. Or if God were really powerful, he wouldn't have done that. The simple response would be, where in the world did you even get the idea that God is supposed to be loving 
or powerful. If God didn't exist and if God hadn't given us this human wisdom, you and I wouldn't even be having the discussion in the first place. You can maybe think of it this way. How many of you remember reading Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet back in high school? Right? Fun times. Good memories. Wonderful play. And my question for you is, in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, where is William Shakespeare's presence felt? Absolutely everywhere, right? Every single event in that play, every character in that play is a creation of Shakespeare's. But now let me ask, do you think that those two star-crossed lovers, Romeo and Juliet, in their free time sat around saying to themselves, you know, I wonder what that William Shakespeare is really like. I'd really like to get to know him. I'd really like to meet him someday. Well, of course not. They were completely unaware of Shakespeare's presence, even though their very existence depended on him. Without our human wisdom, that's what you and I would be like. Instead, because God has given us this human wisdom, we're a little bit more like a character named Truman Burbank. You remember watching The Truman Show? It was a movie that came out in 1998. If you haven't seen it already, it's been 17 years, so I, I think it's okay. I think I'm safe in telling you some of the secrets. You've had your chance to watch the movie. It's kind of an interesting story because it's actually a story about a story. In the movie, there is this television producer named Kristoff, and he creates this entire world for one man, for Truman Burbank. He manufactures events and characters and even the weather, and then the world all watches as this one man reacts. But then over the course of the movie, little by little, Truman becomes aware of Kristoff's presence. Truman starts to realize that there is more to reality than the things that he can see with his eyes and the things that he can experience. He starts to sense that there is this powerful, invisible presence up above pulling all of the strings, directing everything. And that sense sends him on an epic journey to find out who it is. That's what you and I are like. Our human wisdom gives us the sense that God exists and it leads us to want to know more about him. And as a result, it is a tremendous blessing. But it's also easily misused. It's very easy to see why. I mean, if it is our human wisdom that causes us to sense that God exists and causes us to want more about, want to know more about Him, where do you think you and I are going to turn in order to make that happen? Well, we're going to use that same human wisdom. And so people sit around thinking about God and they come up with ideas like this. If God is really holy and loving and powerful and wise, then here are some things that I would sort of expect out of God. I would expect that God would have certain standards of right and wrong. And I would expect that if there are people who have absolutely no regard for those standards of right and wrong, that a holy and powerful God would punish them. And I would also expect that God would appreciate people who are trying to observe those standards of right and wrong. You know, you know people like me. People that are trying to do the right thing. And of course, nobody is perfect in keeping God's law, but I would expect that a loving God would forgive those imperfections and reward those who are trying to do their best. 
And friends, that about sums up every system of belief about God that springs out of human wisdom. Those types of ideas are present in Eastern religions, in principles like karma, what goes around comes around, reincarnation, that after this life you'll have another life, and whether that life is better or worse depends on what you do in this life. Those principles are also present in what we might call American cultural religion, the religion of our society. You can see them when people say things like, well, God helps those who help themselves. Good things should happen to good people. God would want nothing more than for me to be happy. All of those things make absolutely perfect sense based on the best assumptions that human wisdom can make about God. Of course, the only problem is God isn't like any of that. Sure, God is holy and loving and powerful and wise, but his definitions of those things are far different from ours. And that's what leads people often to be disappointed with God, to think that God hasn't lived up to their expectations. That's what ultimately causes people to think that reason and religion are enemies of one another. In fact, that's one of the reasons why that movie, The Truman Show, is, is such an interesting example. You see, by the end of the movie, that producer, Christoph, the one who's calling all of the shots and orchestrating everything, he is shown to be this self-centered, power-hungry, greedy tyrant. And Truman is the hero because he triumphs over him by his reason. He figures out how to find Christoph and expose him for who he is. Reason triumphs over religion. And friends, that's exactly where many people end up with God. Maybe you've been there in your relationship with God before. Upset that God hasn't lived up to your expectations and maybe convinced that your reason should be used to triumph over religion. So back to our question, how far will wisdom go? Well, here's the big irony. Wisdom, human wisdom, causes us to sense God's presence and want to know who he is, but our human wisdom also is incapable of, of achieving that. In other words, our human wisdom cannot deliver the very thing that our human wisdom tells us that we should expect. It has a limit. So if God isn't like any of that, if he's different from the way that our human wisdom tells us he should be, the question remains, of course, what is God really like? Is God really holy? Well, of course he is. It's just that he's far holier than you and I would ever guess. God is so holy that he can't be satisfied with people simply trying their best. God is so holy that he can't give us a pass just because we're putting forth a good effort. God is so holy that every single sin committed by every single person must be accounted and paid for. Is God loving? Well, of course God is loving. It's just that he's far more loving than we could ever imagine. God is so loving that he wants even the very worst people in the world to be with him in heaven. God is so loving that he never gives up, never turns back, turns his back 
even on the terrorists and the murderers and the sexual predators and the child abusers. God is so loving that he wants absolutely everyone to be with him no matter what they have done. Is God powerful? Well, of course he's powerful. It's just that he's more powerful than we could ever imagine. God is so powerful that he can completely disarm our greatest foe, the devil. He can turn that roaring lion into nothing more than a declawed kitty cat. He can take those unbreakable prison bars of death and snap them as if they were mere twigs. God is all of those things. But now how do you suppose God can show us that? How do you suppose God can show us his wisdom in a way that our limited human wisdom can grasp? How can God take what is impossible for even the smartest people in the world to achieve and bring it down to our level for absolutely everyone? It shouldn't surprise us one bit that when God takes what even the smartest human wisdom cannot achieve and brings it down to us, it appears as though it is utter foolishness. How does God show us that holiness, that every sin must be paid for? Well, he charges every single sin to his own dear son. How does God show us his love? How does he make it possible for the worst people in the world? How does he make it possible for you and me to be with him in heaven? Well, he punishes all of those sins by punishing his son. How does God show us his power? He shows it in weakness. How does God defeat death? He uses death. How does God defeat the devil? He allows the devil to carry out his worst intentions, again, all against his own dear son. God shows us everything that he is in what appears to be utter foolishness. He shows us everything that he is in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's picture for a moment different levels of wisdom as if they are different shelves going up a wall. The smarter you are, the higher the shelf you can reach. So let's imagine for a moment that the first 10 shelves on the wall are the ones that human beings can reach. Again, the smarter you are, the higher you can reach. And let's assume for a moment that God's wisdom is at shelf number 1,000. But of course, because God loves us and wants us to know who he is, God takes his wisdom and he puts it down on shelf number 10. It'd be a good thing, right? But God's wisdom would still only be accessible to the Einsteins and the Edisons and the Steve Jobses of the world. So let's assume that God, or let's imagine that God puts his wisdom down on shelf number seven. Even better, right? But still only accessible by some. So what God does instead is he takes his wisdom and he puts it all the way down on the very bottom shelf. He delivers it to us in what appears to be absolute foolishness. But the result is that it is accessible to absolutely everyone. In fact, it shouldn't surprise us one bit that the people who are often the best at seeing God's wisdom on that bottom shelf are the people who, by the world standards, aren't very intelligent yet. For example, very young children. It's no wonder that over and over again the Bible tells us to make our faith like that of little children. Back to our question. How far will wisdom go? 
our human wisdom cannot deliver. The very thing that our human wisdom tells us to want. But the even bigger irony than that is that God takes what is inaccessible, so far above even the smartest people in the world, and he brings it down, not just to our level, but he delivers it to us in what appears to be foolishness. He delivers it to us in his son, Jesus Christ, suffering and dying on a cross. So friends, the real conflict is not between reason and religion not between faith and intellect. The real conflict is between pride and humility. Our human wisdom is a tremendous gift from God, but we must realize its limit and we must submit our wisdom to the one whose wisdom is infinitely higher. I need to share with you one more example from the world of fiction. We talked about Romeo and Juliet, who had absolutely no awareness of Shakespeare. We talked about Truman Burbank, who exposed the tyrannical Christoph for who he really was. Well, friends, what God does for us is one giant step further than even that. A while back, there was an author by the name of Dorothy Sayers. She wrote this series of mystery novels. The other distinction Dorothy Sayers had was that she was one of the first women ever to graduate from the prestigious Oxford University over in England. Now, one of the main characters in those mystery novels was a man by the name of Peter Whimsey. And Peter Whimsey was a very likable guy, and yet he had never been able to find true love. And so even well into his adult life, he remained unmarried. Well, as those mystery novels came out and more and more of them were published, all of a sudden there appeared in the books a character by the name of Harriet Vane. Wouldn't you know, Harriet Vane was also a writer of mystery novels. Wouldn't you know, Harriet Vane also was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford University in England. And wouldn't you know, Harriet Vane and Peter Whimsey ended up falling in love and getting married. Most people look at that and they assume that the author, Dorothy Sayers, fell in love with her main character, Peter Whimsey, and as a result decided to write herself into the book. Friends, if you and I didn't have human wisdom we would be like Romeo and Juliet, unaware of God's presence. If all we had was our human wisdom, we'd be like Truman Burbank, convinced that God is a tyrant, convinced that reason should be used to triumph over religion, but by God's grace, we are neither one. Because in his love, in his infinite and eternal love for us, God wrote himself into our story by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And because he did so, because he delivers to us everything that he is in such utter foolishness, the gospel, that good news, still pierces through the noise of all the ideas around us that spring from human wisdom, that gospel still gets through. And by God's grace and because of what he's done, God offers free salvation to everyone who believes. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.